0: September 6th, and as we begin our reading today in the New Testament, we'll be looking into the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 16 through 24, where we're learning some principles of giving. It begins with surrender to the Lord, it's motivated by grace, and it requires faith to be a real giver. It also requires faithfulness on our part. Those who handle the Lord's money should be dedicated and faithful, trustworthy, making certain that everything is honest and honorable, so no one can find fault. It is a testimony to others. A year before, the zeal of the Corinthians had stirred others to give. Now Paul had to stir up the Corinthians. See, we must not give to be praised by people, but we must also be good examples before others. If we make promises, we need to keep them. And we find that it must be done gladly, this thing called giving. If you want a spiritual enrichment from your giving, you got to practice enjoyment and be glad for opportunities to give. Look at God's promises to faithful givers. I mean, how can you lose? And with that, let's begin reading today in the New Testament. September 6th, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 16 through 24. I, Paul, am thankful to God that he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you, Corinthians, that I have. He welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus. He is highly praised in all the churches as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches. TO ACCOMPANY US AS WE TAKE THE OFFERING TO JERUSALEM, A SERVICE THAT GLORIFIES THE LORD AND SHOWS OUR EAGERNESS TO HELP. BY TRAVELING TOGETHER, WE WILL GUARD AGAINST ANY SUSPICION, FOR WE ARE ANXIOUS THAT NO ONE SHOULD FIND FAULT WITH THE WAY WE ARE HANDLING THIS GENEROUS GIFT. WE ARE CAREFUL TO BE HONORABLE BEFORE THE LORD, BUT WE ALSO WANT EVERYONE ELSE TO KNOW WE ARE HONORABLE. And we are also sending with them another brother who has been thoroughly tested and has shown how earnest he is on many occasions. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his increased confidence in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. And these brothers are representatives of the churches. They are splendid examples of those who bring glory to Christ. So, show them your love and prove to all the churches that our boasting about you is justified.
1: Do you ever feel that you're maybe not a Christian at all? When you read the Bible and it describes Christianity, and you look at that and you look at yourself, or you reflect upon the previous week or the previous day or the previous hour, whatever it is, you read what it says, you look at yourself and say, you know what, I don't know if I'm a Christian at all. And when you have that experience, don't be too quick to go in the flyleaf of your Bible and pull out some little baptismal certificate. Don't be too quick to go somewhere and remember that on the 3rd of February, on a cold evening in 1947, when the pastor said you ought to raise your hand, that you raise your hand. I'm glad of what's in your Bible, and I'm glad of what happened in 1947, but that may not be the issue. Have you ever considered that? that the very things that we are tempted then to hang on to when it comes to our saying, oh yes, I'm a true believer, may be the kind of things that the New Testament nowhere encourages us to hang on to. Indeed, may actually be things that never ever appear in the New Testament. You say, well now, this is distinctly uncomfortable. Where are you going with this? Well, I hope I'm going the same place that Jesus is going by going to the Bible and seeing what it is that he's saying. Because the fact of the matter is that when John provides for the believers evidences of genuine Christian assurance, he does not take them to events in the past, but he asks them to look for characteristics in the present. Not that there are no events in the past, but that events in the past have relevance provided those past events are evidenced by present characteristics. Now, that is not to say that the ground of our salvation is to be found in our ability to manifest these characteristics. The ground of a person's salvation is in what Christ has achieved upon the cross, and that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we trust in Christ's work. However, as the Reformers pointed out, it is grace alone that saves, but the grace that saves is not alone And so, when we come, for example, to a challenging passage of Scripture like this, let us not be too quick to set aside the insistent, nagging, unsettling, uncomfortable question which says to you, Alistair, in relationship to what you are reading, what you are teaching, where are you? And sometimes it makes me feel like maybe I'm not a Christian at all. Now, you see, pastors, they're not supposed to say this, because people run out the door going, Do you know what? The pastor's been doubting his salvation. He's come from a week of doubt. You know, we must pray for him. No, I haven't come from a week of doubt. I've come from a week of studying my Bible. And when I see what Jesus says here, and when I see what I'm like, I'm just saying, there's a major gap. And since I'm not as weird as you think, and there may be a few more like me, you may get the same feeling. So get as comfortable as you can for a moment or two, because that's about as comfortable as you're going to be. For those of you who came for a feel-good sermon, oh, how dreadfully disappointed you are already! For those of you who said, well, he got all that, blessed are the hated, blessed are the sad, hungry, poor. I'm glad he got that over with last Sunday. We'll be picking it up next Sunday, I'm sure. No, it's actually a little worse than last week. Because just when we might anticipate that Jesus' teaching could not get any more challenging, could not become any more convicting, he actually turns the temperature up. And having given these words expressly to his disciples, he now addresses those who are hearing him. But— you, I tell the ones hearing, love the enemies of you. I tell you who hear me, Said so those of you who are listening with all the ears of your heart, love your enemies. Now, can you just imagine somebody in the crowd saying to his friend, Did Jesus just say what I—did th- he just say what I think he said? Did Jesus just say you're supposed to actually love your enemies? And the person says, shh, 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 wait a minute, you're, you're missing the rest of it. He's, he's saying more. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. Psalm 50,
0: verses 1 through 23. This psalm describes a courtroom scene. God is judge, witness, and jury. And he brings an indictment against two kinds of religious sinners. One is insincere worshipers. He calls the court to order, not with the rap of a gavel, but with the revelation of his glory. He indicts his people who offer sacrifices insincerely. Their worship is just empty routine and hope to earn God's blessing. God does not need the things we give Him, but we need to give Him spiritual sacrifices of thanksgiving, praise, and obedience. Another kind of uh, religious sinner is the hypocritical worshipers. Here the issue is not sacrifices, but the uh, covenant they made with God. They profess one thing and practice another. They are guilty of theft, adultery, deceit, and slander. They thought that God's silence meant escape from punishment, but they were wrong. Judgment begins with God's people, not with the lost world. Check 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Heed the warning of verse 22 and accept the admonition of verse 23. What is that? We'll find out now as we begin our reading in the book of Psalms. Psalm 50. Verses 1-23 through A Psalm of Asaph The mighty God, the Lord, has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from east to west. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches with the noise of thunder. Fire devours everything in His way. And a great storm rages around Him. Heaven and earth will be His witnesses as he judges his people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. O my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly bring to my altar. But I want no more bulls from your barns, I want no more goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills, every bird of the mountains, and all the animals of the field belong to me. If I were hungry, I would not mention it to you, for all the world is mine, and everything in it. I don't need the bulls you sacrifice. I don't need the blood of goats. What I want instead is your true thanks to God. I want you to fulfill your vows to the Most High. Trust me in your times of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. But God says to the wicked, Recite my laws no longer, and don't pretend that you obey me, for you refuse my discipline." AND TREAT MY LAWS LIKE TRASH. WHEN YOU SEE A THIEF, YOU HELP HIM, AND YOU SPEND YOUR TIME WITH ADULTERERS. YOUR MOUTHS ARE FILLED WITH WICKEDNESS, AND YOUR TONGUES ARE FULL OF LIES. YOU SIT AROUND AND SLANDER A BROTHER, YOUR OWN MOTHER'S SON. WHILE YOU DID ALL THIS, I REMAINED SILENT, AND YOU THOUGHT I DIDN'T CARE. But now I will rebuke you, listing all my charges against you. Repent, all of you who ignore me, or I will tear you apart, and no one will help you. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. Proverbs 22. Verses 22 and 23 Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or exploit the needy in court. For the Lord is their defender. He will injure anyone who injures them.